Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Svedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Hi, everybody. This is Marnie Swedberg. Welcome to another edition of Marnie's Friends. And our program today is management training with our guest, Gary W. Patterson of FiscalDoctor.com. We're going to be talking about how to prevent bad things from happening to good companies, your good company in particular. So during this next hour, you're going to discover why you should take for granted your traditional financial assumptions are wrong and test them frequently in today's roller coaster in your economy. Gary's going to be sharing seven ways to give your company a financial checkup and immediately identify problems. You'll discover the common barriers to getting help that may cost you or your company if you don't break past them, and a quick list of other million-dollar blind spots that can make or break your company. Gary helps financial and business leaders find the million-dollar blind spots before they find you by enabling and sustaining or by enabling sustainable profitable growth. He was Stanford, has a Stanford MBA, gets a big four CPA with 30 years of experience across most industries, and his website is fiscaldoctor.com. Welcome to you, Gary. Well, looking forward to it today to share something to help people, and they can know that I also am concerned about the $10,000 or $100,000 blind spot. It doesn't have to be a million. Matter of fact, <laughs> the $10,000 blind spot might feel like a million. You know, uh, my husband and I bought a retail store several years ago after not having a background in retail. And when we would make mistakes, sometimes they would be $5,000 or $10,000 mistakes. And we would say to each other, well, that was a five-credit class or a 10-credit class in college because uh, there are so many mistakes to be made. And I love your business and what you do is you help people find them before they make them. So that's the way to go. Uh, Let's go ahead. Your first premise is, so interesting. You say, take for granted that you're doing something wrong, that the assumptions you've made no longer work. So just talk to us about that because that seems kind of it seems kind of odd that that's how we should be thinking. Well, I'll say this. Think of the fact that things change so fast that what used to be true no longer is. And I'll give you three comments on it and, and I'll come back to them briefly. The first one, I'm going to share my travel pro story. Uh, on this thing of where this process happened in terms of why someone actually loves to find blind spots before it happens to people. Um, The sheriff has left town. I'll talk about that in a moment. And symptoms versus problems, because that will roll into uh, people can understand better where the financial checkup came from. So any of the three or just start in the order I gave them to you? Oh, I think just go for it. Okay. I had what was going to be the dream job. I mean, you look at that, and this was something, this was, I say, this wasn't just any job. This was a three-time Inc. 500 company. I was going to go there to help sell it, take them public, whatever. And KPMG has finished it. Merrill Lynch is providing the money. The world looks great for three days. And on the fourth day, there was a small issue, you know, because we sold uh, things to retail groups like yours, and I found one thing. It appeared 
that there was an extra $30 million worth of purchase orders that nobody knew we had placed. We couldn't pay for them. Didn't have a place to put it because this was $100 million or two-year sales. That was the situation. That's where I developed this. So that was a good company, and a bad thing was looming really, really fast. We solved that. took a year. And what I'm sharing really is the super fast version of that because what's really happened that I was surprised at about two years ago, I noticed, I made the comment and I said, the sheriffs have left town. And here's what I mean by that. The chief financial officers, COOs, and even some president types who used to tell you when there was an issue, you know, they're really incented not to do it anymore. Here's why. Mm-hmm. The world has happened this. Think about that, the friends you have. It takes longer if you're one of the C-suite to find a job. The job lasts less time than it used to, so it's a shorter and shorter time frame to have a job, longer and longer to get one. How many, in essence, key issues are you going to flag? That's number one. When I did this, it was a little better. If someone finds one now, the next issue you get is, wow, you found it, you fix it. But don't don't ask us for any help. Don't ask for any resources, money, or whatever. Just do it extra. Add a third shift to your 60, 70, 80-hour work week. Doesn't incent people much. And the third one, which is really the other item, that other is if you find what I call an Uncle Joe's garage or warehouse or something, and you look out there, there's a reason nobody wandered over there. And the other thing <laughs> is, it's like, well, you know, Gary, Marty, we thought y'all were really good. If you miss this thing and this becomes a problem, y'all must not have been as right. good as we thought you were. So how do you, in a case like that, when everyone is working so hard, they're incented not to do things. And the other issue I talk about is symptoms versus problems. And here's what I mean. When you're out there, if you solve the wrong issue, which would be a symptom, is is this a symptom? Is this a problem? You have to allocate scarce resources of people, money, and time. And if you pull things away from somewhere else, you've made a bad mistake. You then get sort of lulled into the fact you think things are better, and they're not. So people have more of a, a tendency that says, I don't know. Am I really, really sure we need to do this? I mean, you probably have seen the thing where somebody says, do I do spend the money on marketing, systems, or by hiring a new person? And golly, what if I do it wrong, particularly for a small business? I mean, this can be traumatic. If you put your money in the wrong spot, it's not like you can turn around and say, I want that money back. All three of those add up to a situation where people are much less likely to make decisions quickly and timely, and these things, the issues fester. And I'll come back later if we come back to it, to the, now, the story of the travel pro, if you think about that, all the baggage, the good news is if you've been noticing lately, you can still buy a travel pro suitcase. They're still there. was a really, really rough year, but bad things did not happen to that good company because we used the process that I'm going to be talking about for the rest of the hour. Hmm. Well, I can just so, I mean, you can just feel all those reasons that you did for not, you know, not shining the light on a problem. 
it's just sometimes feels a lot better to just stick your head in the sand and to just say, you know, we're just going to deal with that another time, but it doesn't go away. Usually it usually gets worse, like an infection. And So we're going to talk about next the seven ways to give your company a financial checkup uh, to be able to immediately identify problems. Gary, where did you know you kind of talked about where you first came up with this, and then where ha, have you done this at multiple companies since then, and maybe what were some of the results? Well, you know, the first couple of times I've gotten a little better at, when I started when I ran something more like over two hundred times big companies, little companies. You know, I keep learning more things each time, getting better and faster. Right. Think of this way. If people look at my website later, they're going to see a circle, the sort of consulting circle, which, I, which they'll see something, or in the books, I talk about a fiscal checkup, F-I-S-C-A-L checkup, which we had saying, you know, just like you need a checkup with your doctor, you need a fiscal checkup from the financial doctor. And mm-hmm. here is the way if people will think about this. I think it will help today. Think of checkup diagnosis, treatment, and wellness. The checkup is just like your personal checkup, and that is, you know, we go to the doctor, they look around a little, and they, look, they run through a general checklist, which we're going to go do next. If there's something that says, hmm, we need to look a little deeper, well, let's look at numbers, let's look at systems, let's look at marketing, you do a deeper dive, a diagnosis. The idea is pick the blind spot, not a symptom, but a problem, Treat it, and when you do, the world gets better, and let's keep it well. That is a gross oversimplification. But the people I work for said two things. Uh, I'm going to tell you about the story about Bill and Eileen. Bill was one, actually, both were my mentors. Bill's comment was Gary, don't make this stuff too hard. Grow the top line, bring in more revenue. Second was help me keep more of it. He liked the idea of spending it. You and your husband probably did too. And the third one is if you do number one and number two, life is usually a lot better because those five and $10,000 blind spots hurt. And if we save one of those for someone today, they will feel better. Eileen, I print you. Whoops. Eileen came back, great leader. Her comment was, you got to move fast, Gary. If you don't solve stuff quickly, people get tired of fixing or working things when you find those blind spots. So get out there, go for success, not perfection, and speed. So between Eileen and Bill, I basically, as I kept doing this, the comment was, how can I do this faster and quicker, and how can I empower your audience to do at least the checkup? They may come back and say, Gary, you know, the diagnosis is a little harder. We'll get you started on that. But until you do the checkup, you don't know what to diagnose. Hmm. So great. Well, this is Marnie Fleber. We're visiting today with Gary W. Patterson, the fiscal doctor. He's a, his website is fiscaldoctor.com, and that's F-I-S-C-A-L, fiscaldoctor.com. We're going to come right back and start right into those seven ways to give your company a financial checkup and immediately identify any problems that may exist. We'll be right back. 
WomenSpeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit WomenSpeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. Well, we're having a little trouble with our switchboard again, and this is two weeks in a row, so we're going to check in check in with Blog Talk Radio after this program and find out why that's happening. But we are excited to have you back and uh, excited to have our guest here today, Gary W. Patterson of FiscalDoctor.com. Gary, let's go ahead and dive right into the seven ways to give your company a a financial checkup and maybe identify some problems that could be lurking there without you knowing that they exist. Excuse me, sir. I'll do it in groups of two. I'll do two stop and comment there because they really relate well. Here's the two questions to think about. You've got a budget this year. Everybody who's listening today, what are the top three risks or reasons why you won't or might not hit that budget for the year. The related question, and I usually, if I'm doing this live, I'll pause for maybe a minute or so. Then I say, okay, now that you've been willing to admit what the issue would be, what can you do to minimize those risks? So it's the idea, because most people know, if you came back and they say, if we asked someone, or if you thought about something you know, for your radio show, for whatever you've gotten, it doesn't take long, almost as soon as you set your budget for the year, within you know, within a week, a month, you already say, hmm, things are changing. I might not hit my numbers. The key is, are you going to be willing to admit that you need to do something? And if you admit there's an issue, how can you fix it? So let me stop a second and, and maybe if you think about comment on that for me or ask me a question. Well, um, the top three risks. So, are you identifying? So, overall, you have a you have a plan. You've got your goals set out there, and you're just going to say, you know, what might what might go wrong, really. That's basically it. Is the budget? I mean, the technical term when it, if when it's the million dollar blind spot someone's looking for when I help middle market or larger companies, and I also help individuals and smaller ones, is there's a budget. There's a plan that's in there. And you know, it doesn't take very long before you say something can change. Now, that can also be good. And I am going to talk about let's look for the opportunities, but it's exactly that. You knew when you, know, when you and your husband had that retail store, you probably had a little you know, something in your gut or whatever once or twice that says, you know, did we make the right decision? And if you, if you cut those losses off at the $5,000 level, you probably addressed them pretty timely. Right. And I guess it's kind of an interesting – I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around if I do this because I'm, I'm not really sure that I, that I do this, that I step back and say, where are my you know, greatest risks? Um, maybe, maybe I do it more subconsciously, but I, I don't think that I do it at all at a conscious level. Well, and that's why I'm saying this, this, you know, some people, this is very, very, you know, it's, it's too strategic, it's too operational. Some people say it can't be this simple. Think of this. Most of the people on, well, some of the people in the audience have and some haven't, 
I thought, remember uh, Getty. Getty at one time was one of the richest people in the world. And he used a version of this, which was when he got ready to make a decision, he would look at the pluses and the minuses, and then he would say, okay, that's great, I'm going to do it. And then he would take some of his key people and he'd say, here's the investment we made, here's the three things you said that might happen. Okay, person number one, I want you to make sure that doesn't happen, or if it does, it's less. Same for two and three. This is the, the old adage, work on the business, not in the business. Symptoms mm-hmm. and problems, when you're sitting there working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, it's hard to be strategic when, you know, when there's a fire burning all over the place. These two questions are very strategic. You know, it's hard to do that if you're on the phone 12 hours a day. But if you, you know, Saturday, Sunday, whatever, a night, if you go away and go through these seven questions, truthfully, spend an hour, it's amazing the things that your your subconscious has been wanting to tell you that will pop up. Does that help a little Mm. on the first group? It does. So the first question is to just sit down with your goal that you've already set and say, what are the greatest three risks or reasons that I might not hit this? And secondly, how could I minimize the risk? So when you get to number two, then um, you so I'm sure, you know, typically you probably have to separate them out and do them one at a time. How would I avoid this risk or this challenge? And sometimes you just find that they're really, I mean, that that that's something that you can't affect. That's something that may or may not happen, that you can't affect it. Well, you know, you, you can, given some time. I mean, let's go back to the uh, the suitcase story, the baggage story. If I had shown up 30 days later, the company would have died. There was barely mm-hmm. enough time for me to go resolve those issues. So whether it's a big problem or a little problem, it's a function of time. So let me do this. Let me roll into the second set of two because – this first group I'm talking about is the current budget. Now, this gets even harder to do in terms of work on the business, not in the business, because here's questions three and four. What are the top three? Oh, and I'm sorry, one thing I, I may have not clear enough on, I normally would say here's question number one, we would get the top three issues, and then we would go into number two, how would we solve it? Uh, but can't do that in less than an hour like we're doing today. So to get all of the material for your people, I'm having to group two, which might be a little confusing. So I apologize if it confuses. Yeah, no, I think it's good. Second group of two, we saw we talked about the current budget this year. Three and four then become here's three, and I'll pause ten seconds or long enough. People can pause as they play it back or something. What are the top three long-term risks, and how would you react if they occurred? Slightly different version. Here's number four, related and similar. What are the three most crucial infrastructure issues that you need to think about over the next two years? Again, I'm saying you've got to be working on the business because I'm saying what could happen as a risk, and then I've seen this so many times. When times are good, nobody puts money in infrastructure. It's make things, sell them, make things, sell them, make things, sell them. It's not, hmm, I really need to have my key metrics. I need to understand cash flow. I need to hire people, train people. It's 
you know, go go raise money. So let me stop again on that. Similar but different. So, so in your book, in your book, <clears throat> Million Dollar Blind Spots, do you like list potential? Like you just gave us some examples of potential things that you may fail to do on the infrastructure side. Do you have lists like that that help people to actually get, start brainstorming what might be the things that are going to be problems? I do. I have a ch- I chapters and an appendix. There's a chapter that talks about it and goes in more detail, step by step. And there's question number one. We would then have you know several paragraphs. You could start in that. And in the back, I came up with I think it's 100 questions. Marketing, sales, HR. I did it by functional area with very specific questions that people can look at. It's in one of the appendices. I don't remember which one. So yes, it's in the book. Right, and, and and are the appendices broken out by these, like the three risks right now versus the three long terms? Or um, because no, it, to me, it, it, to me it's, it's a lot easier to identify what might be a current risk, like you said, than what might be a risk three years from now. The chapters would talk more about the risks. The appendix would say, you know, human relations or accounting, marketing okay. systems, It's a, and, and it would give specific questions okay. of where to look. Sort of like the checkup and the diagnosis. You go through the book, that'd be the checkup. It's like, oh, my goodness, I need to think more about, you know, information systems, the records, the metrics. So you flip back to the back, and you'll find some more detailed questions there. That'd be the diagnosis now, as, where they dive deeper. As you've been working with companies, do you notice a big difference between uh, – like what what they're missing, like what kind of uh, risks that people just don't even think about that they're just it's just a blind spot to business owners. That's a perfect lead-in for question four. So I'll if I can okay. wait just a second, I will tell you the five categories. Whether you are an individual, and I I basically did a version of this at National Speakers Association this uh, summer, or you are a two billion dollar company. Same five categories, which is interesting. Okay. <laughs> Maybe so that will give somebody a- anticipation to listen to the whole show. Oh, that's right. We're going to take a break and come right back and talk about those five categories, so don't go away. Christian Women's Events. At womensevents.info, you can find events to attend. Learn how to plan amazing events for your group or publicize your own upcoming Christian Women's Events. It's all available to you at womensevents.info. Just click your state to find all the major women's events coming to your area or type in the month and year you'd like to attend an event to see all your options nationwide. It's that easy. If you want to promote an event, just click Add Event. Event publicity is available on a per-event basis or free to members. Finally, if you want to learn how to host awesome events, retreats, and well-attended conferences, click Event Planner Training. Once again, it's available a la carte or included in the membership. It's all online and here for you 24-7 anytime you have time at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info.
Welcome back. This is Marnie, and um, so excited that you are here with us this afternoon. We're having a little technical difficulty, but not too much, and we definitely have our guest here with us, Gary Patterson, so so excited to have him. You can learn more about him over at fiscaldoctor.com. Before break, Gary, we were talking about seven ways to give your company a financial checkup and immediately identify problems. We're on number four right now, and you are going to give us some key categories that we maybe are, are easy to miss. Well, let me do that. That'd be the fourth question. Somebody out there is saying Gary has only given us four of the seven ways. So, uh, you know, I snuck that in for later or did the other one. Let me make sure I give them the other three questions on the second part because you have such a wonderful PDF. I'll bet you there's some people who are out there filling them in as we go. Okay, yeah. sounds great. Let's go to let's go to letter E then. E. Here's E and F putting them together. Here's what that would be. What are the three best long-term opportunities you can create, and how would you best pursue these opportunities? Remember I said earlier it was risk, but I also look for opportunities on there. And I do a certain amount. I help three types of people, really, and here's how this relates and how you can use this. I help people a lot of times. They're tired of being a best-kept secret. They've got a great idea. Why doesn't it work better? That's these. The second one is they're sort of stuck. They're just not getting what they want, or they're coasting on past success. The way to address all three of those, you've got to be working always on the next product or service because I say the day your business, whether you are a sole entrepreneur or you know middle market or a major company, your business starts to die the, die, the day you stop growing. So let me leave those two for you to think about and see how we can help Make it more real for your audience. Okay. If I'm good enough, I'll go on to number. I'll go on to G because G is everybody thinks they've got. When I do this, everybody thinks they've got me figured out. Except that I give you seven. It's not. A, it's the last one is not a third group of two. And here's what it is. What I what you know what I found, and I think you know you most people are going to agree with me. Even when you do everything right, you have the checklist, you do the diagnosis, you look at all of these things. When you get what is a change in a in the culture or the economy that could that could come back, and no matter what you did, what really is the black swan on these things? Because you have a great idea. Well, in our case, on the suitcase situation, the baggage. We went from we led the category. Basically, Travel Pro put wheels on suitcases. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's some people on the audience that are going to remember that and some people that never saw a suitcase that didn't have wheels on it. But people yeah, caught right. up. I'm not going to ask. I, I know that you have never seen wheels on your suitcase. Couldn't have been. Right. <laughs> right. So... So when you're on G, then are you looking? You're looking for you're looking for a negative, really. There. Well, you know, it's a negative. It could also be a positive. I mean, because sometimes when you find the negative, I'll, I'll say this one: when you find the negative or you admit to your real situation, you can take bigger risk when you know your real resources. When you go solve a problem, the same problem you had, a lot of other people are going to have it. I mean, a lot of companies, you know, they talk about product or service extensions. 
And that can be as simple as a slightly better or different version of the product that solves the issue you had that a whole bunch of people now want to do the same thing. I mean, a lot of consultants, and you know, that's that was my roots, and you know, whether I was in growth companies and then became a consultant, is what is something where you can find an issue for people, get in there really quickly and solve it for them. And the second or third time, you ask, you know, how many times have I done this? A lot of times to help people. Every time I did it, I got faster. I get faster. And I can see other things I haven't seen because I get a couple more scars and more gray hair. So, yeah, <laughs> it's mainly risk. But it also you can create a reward if you're flexible enough on how you do this. I always call it the hole in the market. You know, where where's, where's the need that isn't being met, you know, to try to identify that. So what's the difference between your opportunities that we talked about in E and F and your letter G, you know, what's the change? What, what's the difference between opportunity and looking for change in culture every time? Well, E and F, I'd say, is if you're looking for an opportunity, you're out looking and you're thinking, find opportunity, find opportunity. <laughs> G says no matter what you've done, whether it's good or bad, there are times when things just change. You know, the stock market changes. China last week comes back and all of a sudden – a lot of people would say, you know, it's a trained situation. Something in another side of the world, how people look at things, changes, and you basically get impacted by something you never thought of. And it's hard for you to think of working 50, 60, 70 hours a week because you don't look at these long-term trends. You are working in the business, not on the business, thinking what are the changes that could occur could impact me, and logically are coming along uh, down the pike. You're too busy looking for a risk, selling things, or looking for an opportunity to get really, really strategic and operational. You need you need someone to be a, an advisory board member, someone to check in with, someone to coach or mentor you as you you know some of the services you provide because people can't see all this stuff when they're working as much as they work nowadays. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like the video. The video stores um, <laughs> no longer are, and because we don't watch videos on VHS anymore, and we don't go rent them anymore, and now you know bookstores pretty much are going the same way because everybody's got the books on their phone, and you know you have these things that are really outside of your. Um, you you can't stop them. You didn't invent them. It's definitely outside of something you can control. However, they are going to affect you if that's your business, and, you know, taking taking the proactive stance to look ahead and see them coming uh, and how they may affect you is a good idea. I, I like your distinction between working on something versus working in it, and that's something that I've actually applied to marriage a lot, you know, working on the marriage instead of just being in the marriage. Uh, you do things differently when you when you look at things that way. So as far as like the A through G, before we move on, the A through G, G is something that you maybe do need someone else to help you identify. A through F is something that you inside your business can do yourself. Is that what I'm hearing? That That's correct. I mean, you know, if you'll, you know, Saturday, Sunday, whichever, pick a time somewhere, go away for an hour to half a day. I mean, if uh, it's amazing 
a quiet hour what you can do. But, you know, maybe you need half a day or a day once a quarter. Maybe you need the coach or facilitator because your example about digital and about Blockbuster and that. The people that were expert in those areas saw those trains coming, and people talked about them. The people whose heads were down working as hard as they were working didn't see it because they didn't have time to see it. And no more problems were allowed here. Remember the the first one I said, the C-suite, longer, you know, takes longer to find that next job, lasts shorter than it did. They're incented not to do things. People are incented to keep their heads down and keep working, not to work on the business, uh, and but to work in the business. Whether you are an individual mm-hmm. or whether you are part of a company that's got you know fifty thousand employees, same same categories. Hmm. So next, should we talk about the infrastructure issues, or should we go on with the common barriers? Let's go to the barriers because I think at this time people are saying that's nice, Gary. Now I want to know where to go look. You know, what right. could go wrong? What are the myths? <laughs> well, I mean, I feel a sense of relief here because that's kind of like I'm like, wow, okay, this is great if I just knew what to look for. <laughs> I mean, here's the three biggest issues that are the myths. I mean, I added something. Some people helped me, a coach, really, that I had on sort of in presentations. And it says, what are the three biggest, three of the biggest issues that we should tell people they should look at? And the myths are ignore these things. And so I'm going to get them and I'll come back again. The first myth, which is really a barrier, ignore the 175-pound gorilla. Second is too hard to project cash. And the third is outside expert support is a sign of weakness. Now, let me go Mm. back to the gorillas, and we'll stop a second on that. I did uh, something called Million Dollar Blind I'm sorry, Black Holes and Taboos, Dealing with Difficult Issues Delicately. And I I interviewed 100 CEOs and directors and said, what are the things you should talk about that you don't? You know, you don't want to, you know, looking at this. And a couple of them in there really was the idea that you have to address things. There are no gold watches. As a matter of fact, there is at least somebody listening to this now or in the future who has never seen a gold watch. You, I mean, I knew on the other one, seen some of them. Some of the audience remembers, you know, the comment was, work long and hard, get a gold watch, retire, and the world is good. Mm -hmm. That leaves, the idea is toward the end of someone's career, they're they're more likely to let the 175-pound gorilla grow up and become an 800-pound gorilla because they don't want to mess up their last year. They don't want to have to go address that. So it's like just you know kick the can down the road. I would say that is one of the biggest three biggest barriers that you know our listeners today should think about. If that's self-evident enough, the the, the cash one's probably harder. So you know. Should I move on to cash? Well, I don't think so. I think I think okay. that um, we've talked about this a couple times that the incentive to address problems seems to be just a huge pivotal thing here. That because there's so much incentive not to address it, that that's where we really get into the major the major challenges. I mean, that probably would be one of them. Exactly. I mean, for all these, and here's why it is. Because we don't do it, 
the 175-pound gorilla, I mean, I, I pulled that up. as Because everyone talks about 800-pound gorillas and big problems, little problems. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, you know, that that 800-pound gorilla once was a 22-pound gorilla. And then, you know, at 175 pounds, I figure that's a big enough gorilla. It gets sort of obvious that someone should be able to see the gorilla. But why do people keep ignoring it? And that's what we're talking about. They keep ignoring it because let's kick the can down the road. It's not a good time. Don't want to do it. And there's still this issue that says, well, you know, not my problem, or maybe somebody will solve it, uh, but it doesn't happen anymore. There are no gold watches. Mm-hmm. Right, it, and it just isn't going to go away. It's just going to keep getting bigger. I mean, that's the bottom line is it's not going to go anywhere unless somebody does it. So that kind of takes us to the next one, which is it's just too hard. It, right. Well, you know, and that's the cash. And here, let me tell you why I made that as the second one. It's too hard to project cash. People are going to say that. Whether, you know, whether this is a, you know, a fellow speaker, a, an individual consultant, or a great big company, people, I, I, I helped one group that was a quarter of a billion dollar company, and they couldn't do cash flow projections. Now, their answer was, we have five different lines of business. It's too hard. We're so different. And it's like, well, okay, I hear you, but we've got to do it. So, you know, I always was there where I didn't have enough people, money, or time. And so, therefore, I had to know what cash was because this, I'm going to say this slowly, and I'm going to say it twice. You need six months' visibility on cash. I'm going to say that six months' visibility on cash. I didn't say six months' cash in the bank, you know, the Microsoft story about Bill Gates. By that, you know the cash you've got today, you know where cash comes from, you know where you spend money. You need to know six months into the future and estimate the cash you're going to have. That will keep you from spending money that you really don't have, that you think you do because there's cash there today. And even more important, when you look at it like each month and say, how good were my projections? Wow, I was really good. Oh, my goodness. I was way under or over. When you come back and say, why were my cash projections so wrong? You find a problem before it just rolls, before it rolls over you. Most people get financial statements and numbers back 30 to 45 days after something has occurred. It's right. historical. It's not looking forward. Cash flow projections let you look forward. Mm. That's so important, and especially like in a business, well, like our retail store, uh, we have to order a year <clears> in advance for our product, and we have to know uh, what what that can look like. Otherwise, we just end up way overspending, or you know, sometimes even underspending uh, for what it's going to be. And that's just as deadly when you get there. Uh, well, about, you got a whole lot better, I'll bet you, quickly. I mean, the first time or two you did it. Right, right. But you quickly, you know, if if you have a culture where you let people come and understand they're not going to be perfect up front and that if they tell you what's going on and don't hide things from you, everyone's better off. So I would say you're a whole lot better now than you were the first year at, at those forward-looking projections Directly or indirectly, you're projecting cash for up to a year, if, if right. I heard you correctly. Right, absolutely. Sales, what the sales will be, what uh, what we need to bring in, what we need to sell in order to keep going. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so talk a, talk a little bit about um, the attitude or maybe the underlying uh, paradigm that getting someone to help you is weak. Well, I mean, here's what it is. Everyone now says do more with less, and it's like, oh, my goodness, you really don't need a consultant, a coach. You don't need that software. You don't need training. Just learn it on the, the job. Do whichever, you know, because I don't want to spend the money for it there. And if you really, really need it, that's okay, but don't waste money. And you know, right. it, what's really hard is people hear that and they think, oh, my goodness, people don't want me to spend anything. I can't do any items. Well, here's what it is. If you don't get the help that you need, coaching, training, you know, new computer, I give the analogy. It's hard to believe there are businesses out there still where people are running Windows 98. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty terrible. Now, you come back and say it's fully depreciated, et cetera, down there. Don't get outside help. The problem I say is, what does that say? Someone out there in their business has their people running Windows 98 when other people have iPads, iPhones, on and on and on. And how how efficient can someone be when they aren't allowed to get adequate resources, training, people, coaching, or help? That's the attitude that uh, you, know, you and I are talking about now. That's why I say those are the three key things. Don't ignore the problems. Know where your cash is so you don't, you know, order 30 extra million dollars worth of purchase orders. And then when you need help, when you really need it, get help. Don't don't just be a martyr and, and uh, try to solve the world because if things go wrong, no one's going to remember you tried to save money. Hmm. Yeah, and it is so, uh, to, <clears throat> to upgrade, well, just the time studies that they've done uh, to upgrade just makes so much difference. I mean, paying somebody an hourly wage to have them sit there staring at a screen loading and, you know, all these kind of things, the time the time wasted and lost and the productivity wasted and lost is so great. I, I just am such a believer in coaches and um, getting help, especially especially when you know you're stuck or you can see you're stuck and you don't know why. Bringing in somebody that has a better perspective of the big picture is just invaluable and it can save you uh can save you so much time and effort and even heart. I mean, your just discouragement level when you can see, you know, see that there is hope, there's something you can do about it instead of that this is hopeless. And um, it just makes a huge difference. Um, Gary, we're just going to keep on going here. Um, what is, okay. uh, do you want to go to the quick list of million-dollar blind spots? Well, let you me give those, and I'll give them to you. You can do the break or whichever, and we'll start those. Here's the five categories. And this is an ebook I'll be gladly share later on these things originally. Every company I go into or individual has two to two to five of these issues, and here's what they are. Customer profit customer profitability. Where do you make your money for the business? Number two, change. What are you gonna do when you have to change or things change? How can you react? How will you react? Three, over optimistic financials or processes. GAP, FASB, the tax code says it's okay, but you need to change things. Four is opportunity costs. You need to move things around. And number five, I call it puffery. Self-puffery is the worst probably. Everybody, you know, has to be a little optimistic on things. Self-puffery is when you kid yourself and cause the problems. Now, 
we can dive into whichever one of those you want uh, on the schedule you want. Well, let's go ahead and just take them from top to bottom, and I think we'll finish this last break since our uh, since our switchboard is incorporating anyway. So we'll just go forward here. Let's talk about customer profitability then. So when you when I think of customer profitability, I think okay, at our restaurant we discovered that we have to do price increases every six months. It isn't a large increase, but if I fail to take the prices up ten or twenty five cents per small item every six months we fail to be profitable as a business uh, because our costs are going up and we just have to keep doing that. And it's something that, Gary, I really hate to do. I hate to take those prices up. And so is that what you're talking about, customer profitability? That's part of it. I come back and I say, where do you really make your money? I was in the food business. I helped do rallies and hamburgers, the example that you and I are going to know and some people aren't. There's a lot of businesses all the money is really in the desserts or the drinks. In your restaurant, you know, Bill, I haven't seen the numbers and I haven't seen yours, but I've helped other people. I'm guessing you make most of your money either on liquor, the iced tea, or desserts. Everything else is a wash. At the end of the day, you struggle to pay for food, people, rent, all that kind of stuff. Your profit margin probably is in the desserts, liquor, or in the drinks that you sell to people. <laughs> that that actually isn't our situation, but I know that that is typical. I know that that is typical, um, but that we we pretty much we pretty much don't do that. We take it across the board and just give great service, and so um, all of our all of our food is at a, at a decent margin. And it's still you know it's still a challenge some months to do business, but you know since the recession, not so much. But see, you you're working hard at it, and here's what here's what may scare a few people, but they should be scared. This is the easiest of the five. The other four, and the flavor that your you know that uh, our audience has of the people I help, usually this one is about fifteen or twenty percent say we just don't do a very good job at all of this. Eighty percent say, yep, we're on top of it. The other numbers. Normally, almost any of them, about half of the room when I do this in a presentation will say, that's us, that's us, that's us. This was the easy okay, well, one. They get harder. Well, let's go, ahead. let's go ahead then. Let's go ahead to numbers two and talk about change. And, and I just know my husband uh, My husband is a change acceleration trainer, so um, I, I hate change. So many people hate change, but we have to have change. Uh, so when we get to number two, I already know, you know a lot of people are like, oh, don't make me change. Well, see, you know, you're rare. You're going to be in the half where you have it under control. The other half of the people are why your husband is needed and why he, why he makes nice <laughs> money helping people. <laughs> right. Fair statement. What do you say, <laughs> wait, yeah, absolutely. What do you say to the person who just is like, no, I'm not going to change. You know, stuff is going to change, but I'm going to keep going. We're going to make this work the way it is. You know, I, I, what they would say in the South down here is God bless, uh, you know, is, yeah. is what they'd say down here in Atlanta. <laughs> right. right. You know, I because, mean, I mean, it's, it's only a so question fast. of when. It's not a, it's not a question right. of if, it's a question of when. That, that yeah. That's somewhat easy, but that's about a half and half deal. It's even harder to do the next one, which is, you know, where are your financials or your processes over-optimistic? Financials, I'll, I'll do that one. That's the easier half of this one. 
GAAP, mm-hmm. FASB tax says you can do this, you can do that. I can walk into almost any 30 to $300 million company, and I can find items on their balance sheet assets that if someone came in and gave you that much money today, you'd take it in a heartbeat. A half of that, I'm sorry. Or there's no reserve for things like that. There's no there's no provision for it. Uh, you know, it, you make the assumption that uh, nobody will ever return anything. You'll never have bad debts. I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, you've you've heard it. You're laughing. That means you've heard that story. Or well, one tenth of one percent is all we need because and people kid themselves and believe that because they don't have a coach or a mentor or a VBA which is sort of what I do, have done in that Goldman Sachs growth program, they don't have that person to keep them honest. And so they kid themselves. Well, and kind of, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in number five, too, but that, that optimism, you know, there's a fine balance between being very realistic and being depressed and being optimistic. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, being in business is a challenge. I mean, there's just no way around it. And so... Uh, we can tend to uh, lean toward this over-optimism just because it keeps us going. I tell people, when I, and I've, I've helped some very early-stage technology companies and high-growth, is an entrepreneur, and you're part of that, I'm less than you are, is you know, you know, the analogy I give there is there's a wall over there, and an entrepreneur decides, you know, there's a door at the left side of the room, but I want one right in the middle. And so what they'll do is they will just run into that door, I mean, into the wall enough times, either their head just hurts and they finally give up, but what they do every so often, they just break the wall down and they go through it. So you've got to have the entrepreneur who says, I don't care, don't know what, whatever, I'm going to make it work, because they do. You need both that person who will make a doorway where there isn't one and someone like myself who will say, you know, there's a door over there, couldn't you walk two feet to the left instead? Right. No, I love that illustration. That's so true. A, a true entrepreneur who's, who sees a hole in the market that, that hasn't been filled yet. I mean, that's exactly what you're doing. You're saying, you know, nobody else seems to think this is important, but I can see that it's hugely important. That I've got to do this. I'm going to make it work. But then, you know, like I just said earlier, you know, there's this fine balance between sticking with it and making it happen, and that takes optimism and hope of some type versus being very realistic about the chances, you know, the chances are pretty high that you aren't going to make it happen, that your first attempt, you'll have too much to learn, you know, that there'll be so many obstacles you can't really get there. You may have to try two or three or five different times or like, you know, Edison, a thousand, you know, I mean, you might have to take a couple setbacks. And so it's, it's really easy for us to get overly optimistic in our financials. So talk about the processes for just a minute or two. I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand. I didn't the, hear part. The um, being over optimistic in the processes. Well, and that's the. It, it's part of. <clears throat> you had mentioned earlier, people don't want to change. They get. They come back. They have a process. It was good enough way back when. I went to England and and was. I ran a worldwide global reengineering project for a company that had originally been the Wolverhampton Steelworks. So they had things they'd been doing for a hundred years, 
I would ask them, why do you do this or what is it? And people would say, you know, it's, it, you, we've heard it. I don't know. That's how they were doing it when I got here. That's how they showed me how to do it. And it's like, man, if it was good enough, if yeah. it was good enough for my father and grandfather, it's good enough for me. Right. The world isn't that slow anymore. Hmm. You've got to change. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. To to step back again, and and of course that one's huge for having somebody to come in and, and just look at your system and say, oh my goodness, you know, we can really shave time or shave costs <laughs> off these places. There. Let's talk about the opportunity costs then, and where do uh, where do businesses really miss that? Well, I mean, the, it, they don't do the shaving and changing you just mentioned. It's so hard if you think of Blockbuster, which is the same thing. Looking at there is there was a point at which Blockbuster needed to have pivoted. You know, they needed to have bought Netflix to have done something different. You've got to move people, money, and resources. And it's hard to do it because the person in front and who's doing that gets a great bonus plan. They're incented not to reallocate their best people, money, or time to help the upstart new idea. And that's where it takes leadership of the CEO Sometimes it takes a consultant who wears the black hat to say, <clears throat> you know, you really need to change these things around. You've got people in the wrong place. You know, what are you going to do? You've got declining margins. How do you change that? That's my opportunity cost analogy. And everybody's version of the opportunity cost analogy is probably different, but you and I could probably find that on almost anybody we helped or helped. Yeah. Well, and I just think different eyes – different eyes are always so valuable. You just bring in people with different uh, perspectives and they can they can shed light. I remember a couple of years ago for Christmas, uh, my sister, who's an engineering consultant, came up and she just she sent me a little uh, a note afterwards about how great of a time they had and she just had like four bullet points and she said, you know, walking through your store, just love it, love it, love it. And here's some things that I just thought if it was mine, I would do. Hope you don't take offense. That was so helpful. I mean, we just implemented like two of them immediately. They were very easy to implement. The other two we looked at and, you know, either implemented part of it or didn't implement based on, you know, the reality of doing it. Just having different eyes is so important. And that's why that's the five things. I mean, that's why I say every business that I talk to or look at almost across the board will have two of these five problems that you and I have mm-hmm. have done just really a, a brief overview. But I hope it's deep enough that someone in your audience is going to say, wow, and they're going to make more money, save a risk, or do that. I mean, that's what I did way back at Travel Pro is I, I lived through a year that was sort of rough, and I said, how can I help other people? And one mm-hmm. way to do that is to share this, but you've got to do it simply. And so if I've been too simplistic on doing this, I'll apologize to someone there uh, I like to think that some of this stuff may simmer for a while for some of your audience. <laughs> right. th- th- there's there's something in right. here that will help almost everybody who is listening today. Let's just spend about a minute and a half or two minutes here on puffery because I don't want to miss that one. And what's the difference between being overly optimistic and having a puffery issue? I love the word. <laughs> um, puffery is when you kid yourself. It's good to be over-optimistic, and here's, here's an example I'll give of, of self-puffery is flash reports or metrics. And that is how do I run the business is if you come back and aren't measuring the right things, you're kidding yourself. If you don't have 
accurate measurements on those things. You're kidding yourself. If you look at this and you sort of fudge the numbers, you know, like, you know, we've all been on a diet. Well, it's, <clears throat> well really, it's, it's, it's extra. If I, I just round down to the nearest two pounds. You, you know, the problem on self-puffery is you do something and you get to the point where you believe it even though you know it's not true and you suffer from it. Yeah, and that is um, that is easy to do. That's very easy to do. Um, where do you see that the most, the puffery issue? Is it is it in the small entrepreneurial you know startups, or is it in the major corporations, or is it just across the board? Toshiba, I think if I'm right, uh, has just come back and said, well, there's two billion dollars on our books that really isn't there. You go back big. a few years. Two billion. <laughs> Cisco, when the crack, this is ten or I don't know, ten, fifteen years ago, they took a. I think it was the biggest write down that ever been taken. It was six mm-hmm. or seven or eight billion dollars on the inventory. They just they got way ahead of the market. You know, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same old thing. Add or subtract one, two, three, four, five zeros. Is it a ten thousand dollar blind spot or a million, or is it a ten million dollar blind spot? These blind mm-hmm. spots, little to big. They're there. Hmm. Wow. Well, this is just such great information. Uh, you guys need to check out Gary's book as well as his website. It, the website is fiscal, instead of physical doctor, it's fiscal doctor, F-I-S-C-A-L, doctor.com. Gary, if somebody goes over to your website, what will they find there? If they go to the contact page, there's something that I talk about the five most common risks. There's the first version of an ebook that talks about uh, what these risks are in more detail. It's you know it's five, it's maybe eight or ten pages, and there's a couple other things I'll give them, and an awful lot of articles and videos. Great. And then you have do you just have the one book or do you have two? Uh, I have three actually. Oh, three. Yeah. Tell us um, the names of your different books. versions of well, million dollar blind spots. You know the other one is uh, oh golly, it's been long enough. It's uh, the Stick out your balance sheet and cough. I had to forget about that one. It's a little, it had to be. A, I had to get people to laugh. And the the middle no, one was fiscal laugh. fitness. Fiscal fitness. Okay. Well, for sure, be sure to check out the million dollar blind spot. It's going to take you a lot deeper than we could possibly get in an hour today. But Gary, you've done a fantastic job of giving us these high level questions so that we can start working through them and come back to you for more assistance if we need. Thank you so much for being here. Glad to, and I, I trust someone found one aha today. No, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure we did. Well, and thank you all for listening today. So grateful that you're with us for the program, whether you're listening live or to an archive or over to iTunes or in the mentorship program. I'm excited to have you with us whenever you can join us, and hope you'll share it with a friend. And I hope that this program today will help your company to not experience a bad thing. Okay, have a great day. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.